0: hey thanks for listening to another episode of the giving leader podcast my name is phil ling i'm the host also the founder of the giving church if you'd like to know more about what we do go to thegivingchurch.com there you can download a free book and all kinds of cool stuff Um, church planter by background so i like church planters right away and i like pastors i like leaders i like gutsy courageous people and i'm blessed to work with a zillion of them around the country in all different places. And one of the things when I do the podcast, I like having diversity and not necessarily in the traditional sense, just different parts of the country, different kinds of churches. You know, it doesn't all have to look the same. And my guest today fits the bill in many, many ways. Mark Johnston uh, planted a church about 14 years ago in Delaware. And as I learned from Mark, there are more chickens there than people, but there are a lot of people there. So he doesn't just have chickens going to his church. But Delaware is that little state that you don't, unless you're from that part of the country, you don't know a whole lot about. And it's not traditionally, at least in the last 30 years, been a place that you have a zillion churches popping up and doing well. And so when one does well, I pay attention. I've been blessed to know Mark for a while now and work with him a little bit. And they bought a Best Buy facility and grew into that very creative and using space, among other things, embracing of online, all that stuff, multiple locations now. And so Mark's been kind enough to come on and spend a few minutes. We're just going to go where we go. But Mark, man, it's good to see you.
1: Great to see you, Phil. I'm excited about being with you today. And you're looking good. I don't know your listeners can't see that, but I can. So you look great, man. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. If you (laughs) want a podcast to go well, you leave with that.
0: So exactly. Exactly. Okay, so uh, I I gave the little thumbnail sketch. I'm not asking you some of these questions, even though I know you. Uh, What led you to plant there?
1: Yeah, so I'm from Canada originally. Uh, My wife grew up not in Delaware, but very close by in Maryland. So Delaware, just so everybody knows, is not in New England. I know that's a common kind of misconception about where we are. People always say, oh, you're close to Boston. I say, yeah, it's just about an eight hour drive. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're not in New England, but um, we're south of PA um, and uh, east of Maryland and west of New Jersey, kind of sandwiched right in there. And my wife grew up in Maryland, so very close by. <laughs> And uh, we, we met our, our, met each other in college, um, in a small Bible college in Delaware, and uh, fell in love. She imported me. And so we, we lived in Maryland for a while and then really felt like God was leading us to start a church. And originally, we were going to plant in the greater Philadelphia area. It's really what I had a heart for and thought that's where God was leading us. And then uh, Susie's pastor at the time pulled us aside and said, would you think about Delaware? And I said, no, I, you know, I wouldn't. We want to go to Philadelphia. That's where we feel like God's calling us. But I couldn't shake that. It just, the Holy Spirit used that. It got stuck in our hearts and minds. And um, we just knew we were supposed to launch a church in, in Northern Delaware. So which there, there's not a lot more than Northern Delaware. It's a very small state, but that's where we are now. And uh, yeah, that's our story.
0: It's, yeah, it's a small state crowded with people, though. So so when I come visit you, it's like, you know, I feel like I am in the Northeast as yeah. far as the, the, the folks. Okay, so I know you do a lot of stuff with ARC churches. Were you, when you planted, were you part of them?
1: We were not. Um, okay. We actually, I always tell people we were a parachute church launch,
0: Okay.
1: Uh, except after we jumped, we realized we weren't wearing one. So we were kind of like a church splat rather than a launch. Um, and it was kind of a no money, no team, no plan approach to, to church planting, which um, we just didn't know what we didn't know. But a few years in, it was about three and a half years in, we found the ark. And uh, that connection really changed our lives, changed the trajectory of our ministry, got connected with Church of the Highlands and Pastor Chris and Lane Trans. And um, like so many leaders who've been influenced by, by those guys, um, it, it was, it was life changing for us
0: so uh you were i I like that jumped out thought you were a parachute church which i've seen a lot when i planted in seattle 100 years ago there was a denomination that i will not mention that uh dropped like a dozen guys in the same year all in the greater seattle area and literally you know threw them out of the plane and i don't think but maybe one of them survived uh so not a great way to plant but you guys have survived and thrived where a lot of others have not uh, you got into the Best Buy, couldn't build it all out right away. I think you had like nine services one Easter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And watching you grow, I know you got a second location. Now, for those that are listening, Mark Johnson's a founding pastor. The church is called The Journey, and it's in Newark, Delaware, if you want to check that out and track it down a little bit. Online presence, all that kind of stuff. Um, tell, Remind me, the second location was, when did you launch that?
1: We actually launched that four months before COVID hit. So yeah. <laughs> you know, and we lost it. We lost the building. Uh, we had a transition on a leadership level. It was, it was basically gone. And then God really helped us a few months ago. We were able to get a, get it up and running again. And it's doing great. I actually had an opportunity to gather there this past weekend. So um very, very cool and humbling to see how God wouldn't wouldn't let it go. So
0: so a lot of the folks that are listening, and we got a zillion folks that, that listen. And a lot of them are pastors, and I like to kind of get under the hood sometimes and just talk about the the realities of what we do. Yeah. One of the things you did, and I don't, I don't know, you know, this is bad. A host is supposed to ask questions, already know the answers to. I, <laughs> but I, I know that you at one time, you had multiple services. You made four or five services in a weekend, which a lot of people do. But you would preach live at different ones. So yeah. like you may preach two live and then maybe ones on, on the video in the same building on the same day. Is yeah. that fair? Do you still do that?
1: Uh we we were um now we have At our broadcast location we have four services and i preach all four of those live um we are having talks now about adding a fifth back to the mix as we start to um to grow again and when we do that we will rotate one via video um pre-covid we were we were talking about adding a sixth at our broadcast location and that's when we were going to move to a permanent like these four are live they're always live and these two are video four is kind of my limit i feel like you know, for my for my health and um and sanity, and plus that fifth one live is never beneficial to anyone. <laughs> it doesn't. It's, it's just not. The quality deteriorates so rapidly after four. So, um yeah, that was our plan, and and of course adjusted with that as as things change, the world change, But that's that's still kind of in our uh, in our sights going back forward. And here's what I found. So anybody out there is kind of thinking about this. Um, if you're adding like multiple services and wondering about how many can be live, how how many can be via video, we got kickback on the video for sure. But here's what we learned. The only thing people like more than hearing their pastor live is their routine. So all the people who said, well, I'm just not going to come to the one that's video is like, okay, guess what? After six weeks, if that was the most convenient time for them, they came to the one that was via video. Um, so it really didn't, it didn't hurt us at all. And it set us up for multi-site getting people used to, um, video streaming. So, well,
0: that was, what was unusual. So way back when, when I first, uh, heard you were doing it that way, and maybe even to this day, I don't know of anybody else that uses the video that way. So you yeah, know, everybody's got we, multiple locations. Some of them are video venues, all that kind of stuff. But I hadn't run into a lot of folks that said, Hey, I'm going to be here and I'm going to speak live this week. But one or two, I'm not. It's going to be video. That's the unusual piece.
1: Well, I think it's other. It's interesting to me how pastors of multi-site churches and we're just kind of getting started in that journey. We're planning to to launch a third one next year uh, or the beginning of 2023. But it's interesting how we make our broadcast locations sacred. So if. If everyone at a at another location is going to see it via, via video, what's so special about the people at the broadcast location that they can't experience the message that way too? And so, I think you know it's important to us as we continue the multi-site journey to not have like a mothership and then these little flying saucers, but to be one church in many locations. Which means if you get video at at a, uh, another location, you might get it at the broadcast location at, as well. So yeah, it's part of the heart behind it.
0: No, it's it's. Why I was really looking forward to having the conversation with you today because there are a lot of gifted leaders, a lot of gifted speakers, a lot of gifted pastors, and I don't mean this to to just tell you you're pretty, but you are a thinker and you think through linear and logically, and it's like, okay, how, how does this work? And that's like I succinctly right there, you kind of enlightened to me the idea that we treat the broadcast location special even though we try to say, oh no, it's just as good (laughs) if you go to the satellite. So I I like that. It's kind of reinforcing it. All right, so before I get into post-pandemic coming out, all that kind of junk, which is crazy, uh, Tim and I are blessed to work all over right now, and everybody's experience is different. It's, you know, from Southern California to Long Island, New York. I mean, it's all all different. But before I get there, uh, as you look back over the last 14 years, and the whole parachute thing come in plant. If you were planting today, anything pop out that you say, you know what, I would do these things differently.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's the, there's definitely the obvious of we, we didn't plant with a tribe. And of course, church planting has changed so much over the past decade and a half. And there are fewer and fewer parachute launches, thankfully. Um, and I think that that's the biggest deal. You know, it took us three and a half years to break 200. And it, so it was a very slow, kind of excruciating first few years of of planning and never knowing from week to week if we were going to continue to be um, to be viable as a church. And, and I think I don't, it's hard, right, Phil, looking back to go, how much was God, he wanted us to go through that? And how much was us just not availing ourselves of the resources? And that's, that's beyond my pay grade. There's this whole sovereignty thing, no matter where you land on it, you got to give, it's hard to go back and say, I'd redo this story, because I don't know what parts of it were miracles in the making that couldn't have happened any other way. But I certainly am grateful for how church planting happens. Now I coach a lot of pastors now, um, and especially i love to coach pastors who are in their first few years after the plant because I think right now there's a tremendous amount of front end energy for church planning, which is a gift. Sometimes guys get two, three, four, five years in and get stuck and there aren't the same there isn't the same energy there aren't the same resources around that. So I think being connected with a with a tribe going in and then also making sure you know I think coaching is such a big deal and i didn't, I didn't take that seriously enough early on. I kind of tried to lone ranger it.
0: Right.
1: I would read, I would listen to things, but there's something about working with a coach. I remember when you came in to help us, right. and um, one of the I've, it sticks out in my mind so vividly because we were in the middle of this capital campaign that we came up with on our own. Right. And I think for anyone out there who's maybe considering uh, bringing giving church alongside them, or or getting your coaching, or, or getting some direction, this is key because you sat and listened to everything we had done with the capital campaign. It wasn't going the way we wanted it to. It's why we brought you in. We were having success. Knew there could be more. You sat and listened to the whole thing. And when I got done telling you about it, you said, Hey, kind of got good news and bad news. The, the, the bad news, so to speak is you're doing most things, right? Like this is basically what I would have told you to do. Um, So I don't have some big, thing to tell you that's going to change everything overnight. Good news is I think there are a couple of these pieces we can tweak and we can really do better with. And we hired you partly because of that honesty to just not come in and go, oh, I'm going to change your world. I'm going to to turn this thing upside down. That's the value of coaching. I didn't pay enough attention to that. Coaches have pushed me in a healthy way, kind of over that line into the next dimension of what God had for me even though I was right up close to that line, I needed someone to give me that nudge. And so that's definitely... And then the last thing I would say very quickly that I think a lot about right now at this stage in my leadership journey 14 years into the church is if I could go back and grab my 14-year younger self by the shoulders, I would look him in the eyes and say, Johnston, don't take yourself so seriously. This It's gonna be all right. And yeah, I'm very results-oriented. Most of us who plant churches are but I want to be, I want to be results oriented second. I want to be faithfulness oriented first, and then results is right up there. But I think there are times in the church planting journey where I just, I heard someone say it this way recently, worshiped at the feet of numbers, you know, and just didn't enjoy the process. It's my biggest thing about COVID, by the way, if we're going to talk about that, like, Find a way to enjoy this season. Stop whining about the one that you're not in anymore or fantasizing about the one you're going to be in in a year. Find a way to enjoy this one. And if I'd have known that earlier, I'd have had more fun. I don't know if the church would have grown more, but I would have been healthier.
0: Now, okay, so a couple of things screamed out at me that I thought was very interesting insight. One, uh, for those that are listening, because we're so, the, the, plethora of information that is available via social media in the last 15 years or so has really changed church planting in my opinion because we're exposed to everything so Mm -hmm. you're now you're planting a church and you can flip on and listen to furtick you know you can. it when i planted thankfully you couldn't do that stuff you know so it's changed everything and the measuring stick of oh this is success this is success this is success when you said it took us three and a half years to hit 200 now for those that are listening dynamic the journey is a dynamic growing church now but the that's a grind yeah that is a grind i you and i both know the stats that barna talked about 30 years ago if you don't hit 205 years you're never gonna hit it so Mm -hmm. you're 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 smacking and you're three three and a half you're like okay crap (laughs) i'm getting i'm close to barna's number you know (laughs) so so i i love that that piece and the other part where you talked about there's a lot of energy, like, you know, I speak, probably the last five or six years, I've done pre-con stuff at Expo, and so you all the church planters, and it's usually, I have them raise their hands, who's getting ready to plant, you know, who's already planted? so a lot of getting ready to plant, you don't Mm -hmm. have a lot to say, hey, let's do a workshop for those that are five years in, or three years in, Yeah, and and all what they're running into, so what you described it as energy, but whatever that is, that is lacking at that level, I I think, I think it's insightful,
1: Yeah, well, and it was a course correction. And it was an important one. We weren't having big, lavish enough weddings, right? We weren't having these church plants where a lot of energy was going into how it was going to be planted. People were just going to the justice of the peace to use the the analogy and going, we're starting a church. It's it starts today, you know, do you? Yes, I do. So we got very wedding oriented. We got very into the launch of the church and I love that. So now there's all this, you know, nine months of premarital counseling, have a launch team, go through the process, get the training. And then you say, I do, and you do it big in front of four or 500 friends. You know, most churches now are launching with more people than we had three, four years in. And I love that. I think that's appropriate energy, nothing wrong with that at all. But everybody knows it's not about the wedding, it's about the marriage. So yeah, a few years in, so, married people know your biggest issues in marriage typically happen in your first, like, you know, three to five, seven years, right? It's where stuff comes out. You unpack your whole suitcase. This is everything. This is what you didn't know happened to me when I was nine. And this is, and the same is true with the church planting journey that, that we get a few years in and all of a sudden it's not sexy anymore. It's not glamorous. Nobody's calling every week going, how many did you have this week? (laughs) That's when pastors need good healthy environments to be in where they can be encouraged coached led and i think you know the next wave of energy has got to show up there and i think it's starting to there are lots of guys out there doing great coaching um, for for leaders who are who are leading an existing church um we get that one two punch great wedding great marriage we we change the world so
0: right great analogy Uh, i had not have thought of it that way that is true you know, when when back in the dark ages, when I planted, that was not it. It was much more parachute oriented. And if you're fortunate, like I was, you had a little bit of money. You know, gave you a little. Somebody gave you some cash. Uh, the idea now that you know, start with this mass and and go forward. Um, okay, so we you're you're blowing and going. The journey's growing. Uh, you're trying to figure out how to build out more space, get more services, get more people crammed into your little bitty spot. Uh, which is amazing what you've done with the Best Buy. Because if you've ever been in a Best Buy, they're not made for gatherings. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's where I was in one recently to buy a TV. You know, that you're there to, to buy a TV. Yeah. So, but you did that. And then COVID hits. Mm-hmm. And what I have found as we have gone around the country now that we are back on the road, um, we've got folks in California that still can't get into the schools they're meeting in. Yeah. We've got you know, others that with Northeast Ohio work with the church. I, I teased there, it's in a Mennonite area, and I don't think that they believed in COVID. <laughs> so they haven't really missed a beat. I mean, they literally are to about the, the level they were, you know, pre-shutdown uh, uh, 18 months ago or whatever, 14 months ago. Um, when it hit you all, walk me through those first, were you shut for a long time? Was it just a brief shutdown? When you open back up, what did you do? Unpack that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And let me let me just say briefly on the psychology of what you just described, the body of Christ, in my opinion, had never been more homogenous than it was right before COVID. I mean, the Presbyterian church in our town had blacked out their stage, tore out their pews, put in seats and put in lights like we were so homogenous. Church was just about the same no matter where you went in yeah. in America pre-COVID and everybody the pastors i know were pretty charged up a couple months into COVID. they were like hey i'm good i'm having more time with my family we'll figure it out and everything was great because we're still homogenous because everybody's shut down right so no comparison you know well then we started opening back up and you had radically different results you said it southern california still can't meet northeastern ohio we're at 120 percent of what we were pre covid what's that about you know well, now depression started to set in for pastors because everybody's having different results and we don't have this camaraderie of our, you know, of things going badly. And so I think there's been a big psychological blow to pastors this year, especially as we kind of reopen and regroup. And man, I talked to a pastor recently that we're almost two years in. I, I think he still believes everybody's coming back eventually no, what you got is what you got. This is this is it, start from here. So so yeah, we were like everybody else, you know, going into COVID, everything was going great. I look back at that time, Phil, and I'm embarrassed by how I, impatient I was. Like, we could do more, it could go faster. Um, but we were growing like crazy. We'd had our biggest few months ever. You know, we're talking about adding a sixth service at our broadcast location. Second location was going well. We were talking about a third And then everything shuts down, and we were closed for four months. And our first time physically back in a building, which was only our broadcast location, we couldn't open our other one, we had one-sixth of the people that we had the weekend before COVID. So, you know, you look around the room, and you're like, oh... (laughs) We just went back seven or eight years in time, and I got to tell you, it was one of the most special and meaningful moments of my life to just be in God's house, which is not just a building, it's gathered people, to be in God's house, in the presence of God, in the presence of God's people, and to look around. And I knew that day, I didn't know what it would look like or how long it would take, but I knew that day. We'll grow again. Don't miss the preciousness of this. Wow. COVID's not precious. The chaos isn't precious. The brokenness and all that and the division that was going on in our country at the time. None of that's precious. But there are still people gathered in the presence of a still good God. Don't miss this moment. And so I just decided, man, I'm going to enjoy it. It won't be this forever. I'm going to enjoy it. And And that now that wasn't every day, I had my days, Um, but yeah, that's where we were. And so we started very slowly rebuilding, trying to figure out online, like everybody, nobody's figured out online, in my opinion, everybody has until the conversation gets to the five minute mark and then you realize they haven't. Nobody's completely figured out, how do we really minister to people online in a sustainable way? We're trying to figure that out along with everyone else, but we've seen people coming back. And one of the most remarkable things Here's what I think. COVID just accelerated your current trajectory. People who were getting closer to God got closer to God even faster during COVID. We saw it happen. People hungry at a level spiritually they'd never been before. People who were drifting from Jesus drifted faster. People who were getting more involved in serving, man, they jumped. They wanted to serve more than they'd ever served before. People who were getting complacent got rapidly more complacent than they'd ever been. And in some ways, isn't that kind of how God works and prunes his church? I mean, this is his thing. I know COVID kind of reminded us, oh, I thought this was my church, and I pulled the strings. No, actually, it's God's, and he doesn't cause these things, but he will never miss an opportunity to work through the difficult circumstances to prune and shape And ready, leaders and his church for something better. And I just believe that's the season we're in. That's not empty talk for me. I think that's what we're in. And so let's let's believe God. He shines brightest when it's darkest.
0: So you hinted at something that I have been saying, and I know you well enough. You'll disagree or agree depending on what I say, and that's great. Uh, Everywhere we go, I was just with a church board in a Midwest state that pre-COVID they would have say five thousand. On site,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: now they probably have like two twenty four hundred something like that on site. Mm-hmm. And I was I do we do work with them anyway, but they'd ask me to come and meet with their, their their board and talk. And basically, what we're seeing, what they look like, state of the church. You know, are we sick? Are we dead? We are we healthy? Whatever. And what I my my premise was a you are healthy compared to a lot you're very healthy their finances are healthy new people come in all kinds of stuff online you know ramping up and and it is making a mark i call it online now is your front door it's like yeah. nobody's going to go until they check you out the front door it's rare you go into the restaurant without pulling up yellow you know to to yeah. see what's there so uh the but what i what i cautioned i said i think that if you were saying i wonder how long before all those people come back i think you were just as as bad as a a dying church of the last 50 years that says we remember 1982 we had 500 people now (laughs) we have 220 and we've got this role of members we can't find if we could just get those people to come back and my thought is well you're surrounded by thousands yeah that might like to say hi you know they might be introduced rather than chase and then some of those I don't think you've lost I think that how they consume if I can use that word is different um I have people in my life and family that still love God but don't necessarily love the big room with the church yet it's like I you know I'm 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 reticent of where I go my daughter-in-law is a nurse in a hospital and for 2 years it's a covid unit that's all she's done. Yeah. And so her perspective is a little different than mine. You know, I don't see people die like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I go, I look at it and say two things that you said, one that I, I really resonate with. One is your trajectory. If you were a restaurant in a bar that was on its last legs, COVID killed you.
1: Yeah.
0: If you were Chick-fil-A, you figured out a way and guess what? You probably made more money than you ever had. And if you were a church that had good fundamentals and had a good base of ministry, COVID shaped and changed you. Yeah. But it is what it is now. Now mm-hmm. going forward, what I told that church, and I'm anxious to see if how you would disagree. I said, here's the way I would look at it. You're replanting. Mm-hmm. This time you have people and money. <laughs> <laughs> I said, to me, that's a pretty good thing. If I yeah. came and said, Hey, why don't you plant again? We'll start with a couple thousand people and four or 5 million a year. Not a bad way to plant.
1: Right. Who would so, want that?
0: But if you are going to to long for the 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 leeks and garlic of Egypt and you know get it back to the way that it was, I don't know that it goes back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have, I agree completely. So sorry to, you know, we could have had some great tension if I had to disagree, but I agree completely. And here's real quick, I think for me, you know, week one of COVID, I knew that my number one job for our staff, our leaders, ultimately our church and our our region, whatever influence I might have there was clarity, that I needed to provide as much clarity as possible about how we were going to respond, who we are, where we're going, what has changed, what has not changed and how we should live in these tumultuous times, right? That's the job of a leader. That's the job you can't delegate is clarity. And so week one, I feel like God really helped me. I just saw it in Luke 15. And I've got a whole kind of coaching thing I do around this now. And it has become so clear to me that the three parables in Luke 15 fit so perfectly with our mission during all of this. You have sheep, silver, and sons. You search for the sheep, you sweep for the silver, and you stay for the sons. So I told our staff right away, we're going to go reach lost people, their sheep. We're going to connect the hurting, wandering people who are, and a lot of those might be online. They might not be ready to come back in a room. They're silver. We're going to sweep for them. And then we're going to stay and keep the lights on for sons. And if they, if or when they come home, we'll throw a party, but we're going to carry the heart of the father, which is not to go looking for them because they need a pig pen moment. And we're not in charge of that. Only God is. Right. And so I think you're right. We've got a lot of churches have a bunch of sons and daughters who are prodigal right now. And they, they need a moment that we're not in charge of. So longing for them to come back, putting the work of the house on hold until they come back, not searching for sheep until they come back, not doing what God's called us to do is, you know, we're missing our mission. And by the way, I think part of what draws a prodigal back is the hum of the house. The lights are on, the music's playing, it's packed. You think the prodigal said, I remember what it was like in my father's house. Right? They're the ones who are supposed to remember the past, not us. We're supposed to move on, keep doing. The prodigals are supposed to go. I, life was better for me when I was connected closely to Jesus and his people. Let me go back and woe to us if when they're on their way back, the lights aren't on and we're busy kind of like pining away. We've got to keep the house, keep the church alive and vibrant in its mission, reaching lost people, connecting the people who are coming, and then let those who are still out there somewhere that were once a part of us come to their pigpen moment. they got to come to their senses and go, I'm starving spiritually. I need to go back. So that was really the lens through which we looked at it. We, we did everything we could to connect with everyone in our church. But we said, and we did something really interesting, too. We decided we were going to be brutal about culling our rosters. We were not going to allow people to stay on rosters that weren't actively engaged. We took our whole staff in the summer after COVID hit through, removed everybody from an active roster serving in our church who had not served in the last 30 days. Now, we didn't just, like, those people weren't dead to us. We put them in another category, followed up pastoral care. But we removed, like, a third of our rosters in a week. And there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) But you know what we were dealing with now? Reality. And reality is your friend. Fantasy is never your friend. Reality is your friend. And reality says we have what we have. Who's coming is who's coming. Who's here is who's here. Let's go from here like so i i think you're exactly right that's the mindset we need to be in and our job didn't change just because the numbers changed we still have the same job same great commission same urgency if not greater same calling quit whining let's go
0: what one thing i'll interject here it, the uh because of so much of what we do deals with the generosity foundation of the church and, and you know, because you've been through it, we have an analysis that we look at church giving and how money comes in and all that stuff. Coming out of COVID, one of the things that I'm seeing is uh, for those that are listening, we break giving in. And if you download our book uh, at The Giving Church, it's free, um, but it's zero to 200. If you don't do $200 in a year, you're not a donor, you're a potential donor. And mm-hmm. 45% of the people in the average church pre-COVID gave less than $200 in a year. So 45% of all the people that gave you a dollar we'll give you less than 200 in a year and put that over in one category. Then it's 200 to 1,000, 1,000 to five, five to 10, 10 plus. What I found the first nine months after shutdown originally was churches would say, hey, you know what, we're doing great financially. Yeah. Uh, Tim talked to one where it's like, hey, we ended the year more than we had before. Well, he unpacked it and said, well, you had two gifts of about 600 grand. Yeah. So yeah, that covered a lot of, of, of missing people. So what I would challenge you to do now and go back and what I'm seeing is your budgets may be stable. Maybe you're doing okay because the people that are with you and do love you are white knuckling it and wanting to make sure their church does okay. But the entry level points, the zero to 200 to 200 to a thousand, which is where most of our people start that walk through our doors and never start to give anything financially, they disappeared. A lot of them disappeared. And if you do not pay attention to that, in about 12 months, you're going to say, not only are, is my attendance not going way back up like it was before, but I'm actually just going to start to go the other direction yeah. because the front door is not there. I don't have a lot of folks. So just for those that are are listening to this, if you take those that give you zero to 200 and 200 to 1,000, that makes up 70 plus percent of the people give you money. Mm-hmm. And if a whole bunch of those are new, just been coming for a while, COVID hits, they get shut down, and you don't replace with a whole bunch of people that are seeking and coming through those doors, then your base is deteriorating. And on top of that is the deterioration of a, gener- of a generation where we've got the group that's dying off that we're much more faithful in the group that we have, which is a whole other story. All that to say, you said uh, fantasy is not your friend. That's the key. And so count what counts, you know, what's real, uh, nickels and noses, are these folks here, if, no, if they're not given any dollars, I don't care how much they give, but that is something about their their faith walk, where, wherever they are. And going forward, I do think it's going to look differently. I had a, a guy on the podcast, Don Wilson for Phoenix, build a church to about 35,000 pre-COVID, and one of the things I asked him I said, what would you do different? He goes I do do smaller rooms. Yeah. Where well, you can turn them over. Uh but but do smaller rooms. So that this one piece. What I ask you cuz you're a thinker staffing. How yeah. do you staff now and how do you staff going forward? How does that look different than what it was say 24 30 months ago?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And on the on the giving front Phil, I mean you taught me this that the most important metric with giving is households participating. Right. Yeah, and so that's what we watch, you know, where we want to see, do we have more households putting God first or, or taking a step in that direction financially? Um, rather than just looking at the dollar amount that comes in. Because your your dollar amount tells you what you can do now. Your households participating tell you what you can do 12 to 36 months from now. Um, so that, yeah, that's a that's a big deal. As far as staffing goes, you know, we, we were lean staff. We've always had a lean. So we have a lean staffing model. In the past, it's been driven somewhat by necessity because we're reaching a ton of unchurched people and our giving lagged that. Well. But then we decided before our money changed, before money got better for us as a church, we decided we're going to be lean staffing as a as an ideology and not just a practical response. Now, obviously you can go too lean and I feel like we're kind of there right now, but we held off on adding staff during COVID because we wanted to see how things kind of shook out. So a lot of people took on a lot of more responsibilities. We have a lot of open roles now. We're getting ready to do a wave of hiring, but we've run very lean. And I would say how COVID kind of affected that Obviously, we are looking at technology more than ever before. And, um, you know, we're hiring an online location pastor. Someone's plus wanting that for us right now. We want that to be a dedicated role. And finding someone who has that blend of gifts, right, knows how to use algorithms and, and data well, but also has a pastoral kind of bent or can bring people alongside them for that. So I think that's affected um, our staffing model. But I'll, I would say the biggest things that have changed for me as a senior leader, is I got really focused on providing our staff with four things. And I'm a preacher, so they all start with C. I want I want our staff to have a sense of community. So we've really built this, like, what does it look like to be relational as a staff? Not forced, but making sure that's a priority for us. Um, we want our staff Uh, to have this sense of clarity about our vision and mission. So we talk nonstop about who we are, why we are who we are, what we're doing, what goes down, how comes up. So we're very like adamant about that Uh, clarity. We want our staff to have um, this sense of contribution. Interesting thing during COVID, you've heard of the great resignation. Everybody's leaving their job, getting a new job somewhere else. I think how you prevent that, you can't prevent all of it, but how you mitigate that on a church staff is you give people a sense of what their career path can look like in ministry. Sure. For some reason, in ministry, we've I think we've kind of been like, you know, we do stuff you'd never get away with in the marketplace. Like if I worked for a secular company and I went and said, "How do I get promoted here? What does it look like?" It'd be my supervisor's job to have a good answer to that question. Right. But in I've, so I'm teaching our lead team, you've got to have a good answer to that question. Here's your path. Here's your track here's how you can make a a contribution to that and then the last one is compensation over the past 2 years we brought the average full-time salary on our staff up 18% wow. because we were i didn't feel like we were paying adequately i nobody's going to get rich in ministry but on that bad day someone has i don't want them thinking ministry is hard plus I can't buy groceries. I never want anybody thinking that. I can't stop them from thinking ministry is hard, but I can at least stop them from thinking that second thought. Um, So those are the four C's that I would say during this season, I've got much more focus on. HR has become really important to us for the first time in the story of our church. Truly important to us is something we think a lot about and are very intentional about. We survey our staff uh, annually um, and we have kind of a rating system. They weigh in on what's working well and what isn't. Um, we've just gotten much more intentional about that stuff during this season.
0: Okay, so before we run out of time, you just said something that triggered something in my hot, in my my thought process. Uh, you 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 have a lot of young folks on your staff. Your your average age is not up; it's 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 down. Yeah. Uh, the there's been been a lot written about leading the different generations and leading those that are younger. My son is and daughter in law are just here for the holidays. You know, he's a 31-year-old musician, she's a 31-year-old nurse, Uh, both love God, both listening to them talk about what they seek from employment is very different. Yeah. Um, And that I I attribute, you know, generationally. So with your folks, have you thought of how you lead differently those that are younger from maybe how you would have been led 15 years ago? Yeah. Is there a difference?
1: Yeah, man, I got to tell you, I think a lot about this right now. I think there and I don't know how much this is generational, but there seems to be it takes a calling for people to get in ministry typically. Right. If you're doing it right. you And we talk about that. You don't have to see a burning bush, but the nature of what we do, you got on the hard days, you got to be able to go. This is what I was made for. You know, even though it's hard, I think I'm called to this but there seems to be something that happens three to five years in for um, I would say 20 to 35 year olds, maybe even late thirties where there's a real test. It's a crossroads. And I think some of them are not supposed to pass it. They're supposed to go do something else. I'm cool with that. But I think some of them are supposed to pass it and stick it out, but sadly they don't. And so I'm because they they don't see the future. And so they think this is hard, I can make more money doing something else, I work weekends doing this, you know. I'm not sure I'm cut out. I'm I'm not sure I'm up for it spiritually whatever the case may be, and they they bow out or they get super complacent and they get stuck. And so I'm really teaching 20 and 30 something leaders right now, our staff, other leaders, stick that out. If you still want to quit seven years from now, you've only wasted that three or four years of your life. But if you quit in the middle of that test, there's a chance you could waste 40 years of your life. Like just stick it out. When it when all the emotion is drained from the experience and it's hard and it's not glamorous anymore, stick it out for two or three more years and see what God does. That's my story. And I, I, I think that that pressure is even greater now, especially because there's been so much Job volatility, I'm not sure it's a bad thing, but generationally, you don't pick a career or a company and work for them for 50 years just doesn't work that way anymore. And I think that's okay. But I see some young leaders bowing out right in the middle of the testing point. And man, I'm just telling as many as I can, grind this out for two to three more years. Again, worst case scenario, you look back and go, I probably shouldn't have wasted those two or three years. But there's a real chance if you give in to what the enemy's bringing against you right now or the discouragement you're feeling, you could look back and go, I wasted that 40 years. I don't want that to happen to a single other young leader it's not supposed to happen to.
0: Great wisdom. I had a a church leader years ago tell me the problem with people is you have to reparent them. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, that is, that's the, uh, the dad-son, dad-daughter conversation, you know, is the... The grind, stick it out. Uh, don't bail so early. I think you could even take that into the secular world. Those that are hopping is like, okay, I got gotcha. you. If you're just hopping for more money, let, let's let's make sure you unpack that. And and if it's not because you think where you are is got uh, aren't, these are the issues, well, are those issues you need to grow through? Yeah. Um, so I I I I do, I do think there's wisdom. I do think there. I'm at the age, and Tim's much younger than me, and he's listening, and, and uh, I always, I'm the old man, get off my, my lawn, you know. I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy yelling, get off my lawn. Uh, and I, I do think there is a, a different um, thought process of those younger folks that are coming into careers in ministry that have to be led differently. One of the biggest challenges for me to learn, as a leader early on was to realize I could not lead everybody the way I wanted to be led. Yeah.
1: That
0: they don't—they weren't all like me, which is great that they weren't. Uh, and so now maybe that's just more exacerbated than ever before in, in and genera- generationally. Uh, we, I, I just know that there's a lot of stuff that's happening in our generations. One of the things we preach is statistically, first time in the history of America and the world for that matter, there's four generations that are alive
1: yeah. and
0: affecting, Your 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 workplace, your job, your home, all that stuff, and then in the church world, those that are dying and and transferring the largest amount of wealth transfer in history of the world are going from stewards of something to consumers. So Mm -hmm. the stewards are dying; those are the ones. My grandmother would have tithe whether she liked the pastor or not, you know. To those that now they could be in Delaware, in a highly populous area, and actually feel more than a part of more than one church at a time. Yeah. and it's, it's more of a smorgasbord and a consumer and and so that i do believe it's it's different today uh i i do believe it's different today and i don't say that like it's harder in my day i think it's harder now yeah uh, to do what you're doing all right so before we run out of time last thing um you've got a lot of folks that are listening a lot of church leaders that are listening uh some on the younger side because we do a lot in that that world um give them some beyond what you've already shared some pearls of wisdom that say, okay, here's the guy has been it for 14 years. Here's a guy that's stuck with the grind, that God's blessed. They're watching from the outside and will say, yeah, I guess you like the journey. I mean, you're growing and got a lot of people. So give me some pearls of wisdom uh, to encourage those folks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And let me say to every pastor and leader who's listening right now, um, You are a hero and uh, the fact that you would lay your life down to serve people when it's easy and when it's not um, is so honorable. And uh, so hats off to all of you. I think a big thing that I'm living in right now that I would share with everyone listening is do your job and let God do his and don't mix those two up. My job is inputs and outputs. So my job is to seek God for his input, to ask for his direction, which he may speak to me clearly, he may give me a nudge, I read the Bible every day because it's full of his direction, but my job is to seek God's input and then to give my output to that input. However God called me to live, whatever God called me to do, I'm gonna work really hard at it. God's job is outcomes and incomes. So if I will seek his input and dedicate my output he will take care of the outcome of my ministry, my church, my vision, whatever it may be, and he will take care of my income, providing for me. And uh, a few years ago, I was a very, I was broke as a joke, as I heard someone say recently, I was a poor church planner and I was tired of not being able to make ends meet. And I asked God, hey, I've been a few years into this church plant now. are you going to reward me for this? And so help me, I felt like the Lord spoke to me instantly in my spirit and said, yes, absolutely. Do you want it all now? And I said, no, I knew that was a trick question. (laughs) And I don't know, but I kind of believe if I'd have said yes, he would have given it all to me then, which meant it would not be stored up for me in heaven. So when I say income, I don't just mean here and now. I mean, God is storing up. We are storing up treasures in heaven and he is storing up rewards for us do your job let god do his you seek god's input give your best output then you let god take care of the outcomes the results and your income taking care of you the deal with god and our vision and our story is it doesn't change for him like it does for us based on the numbers we think our church is different if it has 5000 versus 2000 versus 200 he says it's my church i love my church I don't look at my kids and go, I really love that one because they're six foot two, but that one I don't love as much because they're four foot nine. That would never even enter my mind unless I was the world's worst parent.
0: Right?
1: God loves his church. He loves his leaders. He's got the outcomes and the incomes in his hands. Do your job. Let him do his job. Seek God's input. And if you haven't been doing that lately, if you've been resting on your laurels, if you're not praying anymore, if you're not reading God's word, you can't produce what you don't possess. So go back to God's word, go back to God's presence, seek him all over again, get fresh direction, and then work hard at what he shows you to do and trust him with the results. That'd be my biggest word of encouragement. That should take so much pressure off it means we're no longer working above our pay grade we're in our lane doing what god's called us to do trusting him for the results
0: perfect thank you for doing this
1: yeah it's been a pleasure thanks for having me
0: you've been listening to the giving leader with phil lang i'm also the uh, founder of the giving church go to thegivingchurch.com find out more about us and what it is that we do my guest was mark johnston founding pastor of the journey in newark delaware and check it out everything's online i mean you can find info about anything you could probably even watch mark preach so thanks for listening